Happy birthday, Mom! All right, welcome to Your Church Friends Podcast. I am Chris. I'm Yurda. And happy birthday, Mom! Happy today, birthday, Mom! Yeah, so today is actually my mom's birthday. Well, not today when we're recording this, but the day it's going to come out is my mom's birthday, so... Yeah, I knew that. That's why I said happy birthday. Oh, okay, I just wanted to make sure. I always figure, like, we have the place where people listen, so I'm going to... Like, this is where we can say stuff, so I'm going to say happy birthday to my mom, Martha. And I hope she has a good birthday. I hope she enjoys the birthday present we get her. It's very similar to all the other ones that we get her every year. And, and that's it. That's how I'm starting off this episode. And now that you've done that, I'm obligated to throw out happy birthday wishes when everyone is coming up. Oh, just for your mom, at least. Mm, yeah. Not my wife. Or... All right. I can't even remember Justine's. It's either the 18th, 17th, or 19th of January. So we're... <laughs> We're in luck. All right, so it'll be coming up later on in the season. Then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Cool. Oh, and Reed. Reed is December 31st, so he'll have his birthday while we, well, we're going to take a small break. So this will be the last episode of this portion of the season. So the next portion will come out January 3rd in, in the new year. So we're going to take a little Christmas break to, for us to relax and enjoy time with our families, plus all the other obligations we have, and just really enjoy the celebration. So if you're hearing this, and you don't see an episode next week or the week after that, don't worry. We're coming back. It's just... Merry Christmas. Happy Merry, New Year. Yeah, all that fun stuff. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. Speaking of Merry Christmas, you're talking birthdays. Jesus' birthday. I think that's a little foreshadowing to the episode. Yeah, that Which is. Which is interesting because we're talking about villains, so you'll see how that one ties in. That really is. You just want to get into this one because other than that, I could... You don't have any random questions to throw I, me off. <laughs> I could, but I'm really excited about this episode. W- one, because, okay, we're going to go to Revelation. <laughs> how you started... The Saul episode, you're like, hey guys, here we go. <laughs> this one, hey, I'm actually really super excited. Yeah, Saul was just disobedient. He's reminding me of my children. Maybe that's why I wasn't too particular about I that. Had one. a bad morning with the kids. Yeah, Saul was, like, was just uh-huh. another one. <laughs> just listen, Saul. No, but this one is cool. I never saw, we're going into Revelation chapter 12, and I'm going to work very hard this episode. And if I don't do it, tell me. To not say Revelations? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> the revelation the revelation so revelation chapter 12 we're looking at the the woman and the dragon and i heard a sermon on this during the summertime on on the whole book of revelation and they they went here particularly and they talked about this whole story being uh, almost like it is the christmas story but just told differently do you realize that that's part of what i taught last christmas in belong I wasn't there for some of those. They were outside and it was cold. Who did the other series? I think we did. Oh, no. You no, know what it was? I'm saying who did the series that you're talking about? Who's preaching that one? Oh, that was Matt Chandler. Matt Chandler. That's why you pay attention. I can He's tell you. one of your like Christian celebrity that you fawn over. It's like, oh, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter that I said it and I taught it. Once Matt Chandler says it, it's, it's that Texas, then it's something good that to That Texas pay accent. It's just easier to listen to. No, I remember why. Because last year we were doing it, this was still in the COVID kind of shutdown, lockdown things. There was a your memory just blocked it out. <laughs> yeah, there was a a group that was in person meeting, and then you had me running the online group. I'm pretty sure it was the same message. Yeah, but you were speaking one. I was just handling an online group, asking questions. 
So I didn't see it that way. All right, so you didn't pay attention, but today, <laughs> hopefully, everybody is paying attention. Before we get into it, though, we have another graphic from our buddies at the Word for Word Bible comic. Uh, they're, they're providing us the graphic of the dragon and kind of this whole imagery thing. Behind, I like this one. Behind the scenes type things. It's really super cool. I like all of them, but like pay attention to the detail in this one. Yeah, it's, it's a cool photo. It's super cool. So if you want to even get more into what they're offering and what he has to offer, it's a wordforwordbiblecomic.com. It's super cool. It's graphic novels, but... Bible in it, and it's not like you know where some of these things add a little bit more to make it thicker. It's it's actually the word for word. That's probably why it's called word for word Bible comics. Yeah, probably. I think you can grab on the Instagram too, right? Yeah, yeah. You can yeah. look at it everywhere. So it's there. You can check it out. But uh, he's provided some cool images to look at. Let's get into Revelation chapter twelve. Uh, what do you got? All right, looking at Revelation twelve, where we have the woman and the dragon. I know. We could just start framing out all of the story. But what I want to start with of just who are we talking about with this dragon? So Revelation 12 verse 9 says, And the great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. So just to frame it up, we already had the episode in the garden with the serpent. Now we're having this episode with the dragon and in case you're wondering, like, wait, dragon, serpent, whatever, it's, we're told right here in Scripture, called the devil and Satan, right? So we are looking at, as we've referenced in many episodes, the villain, right? The supernatural villain behind all, starting with the first temptation and so many temptations since, right? Just the enemy against God and uh, against mankind. So who's the dragon? Dragon is the devil, is Satan. And in this... This episode or this chapter or this story, however I'm going to frame that beginning of that sentence without doing it weird, it really shows the imagery behind what we've been saying, that enemy behind the scenes, because this chapter is more about behind the scenes of things happening than anything else. I want to start before we get into more of the chapter, and we will, is just understanding a few things as we talk about Revelation. So one of the things that I think is important to note as people who follow along, or maybe you're going to go read this yourself, is that Revelation is not linear, so it's not about what happens next. It's about what John sees next. So when you read the book, Revelations get such a bad rap sometimes by Christians because we're trying to like decipher or play like um, you know treasure hunter. How do we put the clues together to discover what the true meaning is? It's not a linear thing. It's not what's happening next. It's about what is seen next. So what does John see next? He writes that uh, nothing in Revelations that's being said hasn't already been said in the Bible either. So I don't think people really catch that. There is so much correlation between the book of Revelation and the Old Testament, like the amount of either quoting or allusion or whatever ideas being drawn from. If you really want to dig into that concept, uh, Michael Heiser on the Naked Bible podcast, go listen to them. I think they're currently in the book of Revelation doing that. Um, and he's breaking down chapter by chapter, specifically looking at all right, where else do you find these concepts in the Bible? I know talking, you just brought up Matt Chandler. Yeah. And he went through Revelation. I think that both of those, if you're really wanting to get into Revelation more, approaching it in somewhat different ways, but cohesive ways. Yeah, and both very good. So that's just something to understand. The other one I have is uh, we need to understand that Revelation is a letter. It was written to these seven churches, just like the book of Ephesians, Galatians. This is a letter written. No, no, no. It was written to America. Yeah, right. It was written to me in America. <laughs> right, so that we could figure out the It didn't clues. make sense to them back then. It's for me right now because I know who the Antichrist is. I'm glad you brought that up because 
understanding it's a letter, we understand that it's written to a specific people, to a specific time, and to a specific place. So the locust cannot be the Apache helicopter. That, that's all I'm saying. Oh, man. Did anyone tell Hal Lindsey? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, Hal. I'm not. That's just general poking fun. We love you. And then the other thing is revelation can't mean for them or revelation can't mean to us what it didn't mean for them. Uh, so those are just kind of my, my disclaimers as we get into this, because there is a lot of imagery here. There's a lot of things that people look at and they try to figure out, but we have to view this book in that context. Cause if we don't, then we're going to take it way out of judgment. We're going to be fools over there trying to say that the world's ending in 2022 or whatever. Because I read Revelations and I figured out the code. Do you know something? No, I don't. That's <laughs> what I'm saying. I heard this uh, message from a preacher and he said, uh, kind of talking about end times. Then I promise we're getting into the dragon because I really want to. No, I have a quote after you're done. Oh, okay. So this preacher said, um, there was this guy who came out and he wrote 88 reasons why the world's ending in 1988. And the biblical stuff, all pointing to it and everything. And then it didn't end, obviously, because here we are, 2021. And the next year, he had another book. It was 89 Reasons Why the World's Ending Now in 89. So we can... Was the, was the added reason, I'm a false prophet, but you should still listen to me? Yeah, I still need your money. So please buy my book, part two. Yeah, I, I, that's what I think that just, if we don't look at it within those contexts, and I, this quote you have is really good to, to put it into perspective. Doesn't Jesus straight up say nobody, nobody knows? knows. Nobody and everybody's knows. coming out as if they know. Anyways. predicting. So my quote, this is a C.H. Spurgeon, just when I was looking at the dragon and really looking at that. Um, I like how C.H. Spurgeon starts off. This is in one of his sermons. He said, it is not my main object at this time to expound the chapter before us. And he was speaking about chapter 12 and following. I scarcely consider myself qualified to explain any part of the book of Revelation. And none of the expositions I have ever seen entice me to attempt the task for they are mostly occupied with a refutation of all the interpretations which have gone before, and each one seems to be very successful indeed in proving that all the rest know nothing at all about the matter. So this is Spurgeon saying, I'm not qualified to do it. Anything I've ever read, all that they're ever doing is proving that everybody else is wrong. And they do a good job of that, so I'm not trying to get into this mess. <laughs> and he goes on to say, the sum total of substantial instruction in nearly all the comments upon the revelation amounts to this that our Heavenly Father has said in his word some mysterious things which few of his children can yet comprehend. This is just what we might have expected when the infinite God speaks to finite men and is no doubt intended to humble us and draw forth our reverent adoration. So yeah, going into it, I'm, if Spurgeon didn't, I'm not trying to explain everything. Again, we're pointing to resources that are good, which I think brings some of an understanding to things. My personal belief, I think that the, who the letter was written to made a lot more sense to them. Still a mystery, but I think that a lot of the mystery was unlocked to them because they had understanding, which John also gives a nink, nink, a nink, nink, gives a wink, wink, and a nudge, <laughs> nudge. That's a combination of two. Nink, <laughs> yeah. nink, you just created your own word now. Yeah. To the people that is like, hey, you guys who understand, you get it, mm -hmm. right? So I definitely think that they got it. And so it's more of a mystery to us. And I also think that part of the gospel is a mystery and we need to be okay with mystery. Yeah. And like Spurgeon said, God's infinite. And it's not to be like, oh, well, we just don't get it or like to excuse stuff away. There's a mystery involved and we should be okay and be drawn into the mystery. Mm -hmm. That being said, 
let's completely rip apart this chapter 12 and look <laughs> at this dragon. Let's look at this mystery. On right. how definite we know this thing. So chapter 12 begins with a pregnant woman appears. Yeah, and in, in the, the heavens. Yeah, and it's a description of her. So the, I'm going to read it. It says, A great and wondrous sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon at her feet, and the crown of 12 stars around her head. So that's kind of how it starts off. This woman shows up, the sun, moon at her feet, 12 stars. Even looking at that, that image is also kind of, when I, when I mentioned the idea of like uh, nothing in, in Revelation is, wasn't already written in the Bible before, I just instantly thought of Joseph and his dream, right? The 12 stars and the moon and everything. Mm. So putting that kind of correlation together. But here she is, this woman appears, and she's pregnant. And then she, gives, uh, she was about to give birth. So do we want to talk about who the woman is? Like, who, who do you think the woman, the woman is? I think it's the woman in the heavens. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that for me, it draws two correlations that I look at. One being when you're looking at who she's pregnant with being the Messiah, which you get into in verse 5, giving birth, birth to a son, a male child, right, who will rule all the nations. So obviously, speaking of Jesus, you can look at, well, who gave birth to Jesus? And you're seeing Mary. Right. So I think that you're seeing that. But I also think that, you know, through taking whole counsel of scripture and bringing it in, that we're also seeing Israel. Mm -hmm. So when you look at Israel all throughout the Old Testament, like referred to as the Virgin of Israel and kind of looking at that and that Israel was to bring forth the Messiah. So I think that I see both of those things and I don't think it needs to be either or. I think it can be both and probably more specifically in the imagery going more towards mm -hmm. Israel, but I, it can be both, you know, including Mary in there. That's what I really like this. So this is why we're calling it our Christmas episode, because the imagery paints the picture of the birth of Jesus. So we have the woman who's pregnant, who's coming out, and then the dragon's coming, and he's trying to take the baby and attack her. She gives birth to the baby who will rule with an iron scepter. He will rule over a nation. That child gets taken up into the heavens, and then the woman is taken to a place of protection, kind of going very quickly through the first six verses of this, but I think we, let's paint that picture before we get into more of the conversation. But it is the Christmas story. It is the birth of Jesus in one sense. Like you said, it's not either or, it's and or both. And so in this one picture, it's giving the, the picture of the birth of Jesus where he's coming into the world. And, and instead of maybe the serpent or the dragon, which is the spiritual side of what's happening behind the scenes, on the earthly side, you had Herod who was out there trying to destroy the baby. Again, we're talking about the thing behind the thing. So you're aligning those two things, like the stars or, you know, the vision of what's being, what John is seeing, and then what was actually playing it out on right. earth, which is what we see a lot in Revelation. It's, wait, are we in heaven right now? Or are we on earth right now? And mm -hmm. it goes back and forth, you know, quite frequently. And then you're tying in other events that we know um, took place. I actually want to read it since we're talking about the villain and the villain is a dragon. I know that you went over it quickly, but just looking at verses three and four, that then another sign appeared in heaven, so another other than the woman, a huge red dragon with seven heads, ten horns, and seven royal crowns on his heads. His tail swept away a third of the stars from the sky, tossing them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, ready to devour her child as soon as she gave birth. Yeah, like you're saying, ready to devour, and you can see just as we said, the villain behind the villain mm -hmm. working through Herod. And Herod's like, yeah, let's kill all, the, <laughs> kill all the boys then. And just what was going on in real time, uh, which is another thing that we're kind of seeing, if this is speaking about the birth of Jesus, which it appears to be, then these signs in the heavens is talking about 
signs that actually took place in the heavens. And I'm just going to bring it in here. I don't know if this is where you want to bring in or if you had studied into this. Well, we kind of talked about Matt Chandler brought it up. So you believe it now. But when you... (laughs) (laughs) So I believe it now. (laughs) You didn't believe me before, but now, okay, go ahead. But when you look at these signs in the heavens and you look at, okay, the woman clothed with the sun and you look at the actual constellations and you have Virgo and then you put the sun and then the moon at the feet and the 12 stars above and then you get this dragon, which there's a couple constellations that it could possibly be. And you actually look at the sky when this is happening, which go back to Genesis. God says that he's putting the stars in the heavens so that we can actually be aware of things, right? And you even tie in that, how did the Magi know that Jesus was about to be born? Magi, they were the ones who looked at the stars and like, you know, understood all these things. So the imagery that was in the sky and you bring in other stuff like this star, you know, that went over Bethlehem and did the stuff. And just when you look at all these astronomical signs, thanks to the technology that we have now that we have all this really cool stargazer software and you can just find, hey, when did all of this take place? Like if I line this up according to scripture, you come up with September 11th, 3 BC. Hmm. Did you know about that? No, I didn't. Yeah, so if you line that up and specifically taking all the different things and there's cool stuff that involves Leo, the lion, Judah, and all the stuff. So it relates to stuff that's specific to Israel and then a king being born, like the star, uh, whatever the planet is, that's the king planet that all of it aligns, right? There's all kinds of study that you can get into on it. But you come up with September 11th, 3 BC, which in 3 BC, September 11th, using our calendar, would have been Tishri 1 in the most ancient Jewish calendar, which correlates to the new year starting. It also correlates to the inauguration day for kings. It also correlates to what was traditionally known as Noah's birthday and what took place kind of with after the flood and the new creation coming mm. from that. So you have Jesus being born on the inauguration day of a king on the new year and like all this stuff lining up that just when I see the way that God works throughout everything is like, that makes sense for a level of intricacy for God. And again, we're having here, we're talking about, cool, it's the birth of Jesus using astronomical signs. And if we look at those were actually signs in the heaven, I have no problem with looking at September 11th, 3 BC being Jesus's birthday and maybe not the, uh, was it the winter solstice of December 25th? When I'm looking at various things, maybe winter solstice might be a little bit more pagany. But hey, if that's when we celebrate it, spend time with family, I'm not against it. But I'll still wish Jesus a happy birthday on September 11th. <laughs> Sorry, that was a long spiel. There's a lot behind it. You can you can get into that um, kind of stuff. And yeah, there, if anybody has questions, again, Facebook group it up. Yeah, a lot of it too. And, and again, when we're talking about like the imagery, the background, the intricacy of everything with what this passage presents and and. Going into all that, seeing the the actual space side of things, mm-hmm. but then even looking at this as like this is the war between God and Satan across all time. Like it, it it's across. Things. This is what it's all been heading to. If one representation is Mary, and then the other representation is Israelites, one other area that I heard someone say that this is also the representation of the church. As we continue the story with the dragon, another thing just even came to mind, and not fully for it. But I think I, I read it in my studies, but even looking at Eve, right, as a representative, because even if you look at her sons, right, mm-hmm. temptation and evil and everything is right there and the death of a son, right, ready to devour. So did Satan know which son it was going to be? Hey, the seed of this woman is going to crush your head. And all of a sudden it's like, oh, this woman just had some seed. Like, let me go and get them. We got to take that one out. And that's always the main 
target and objective of this this dragon and Satan. Because, I mean, when we look at it, the Bible is very descriptive of him. And when we get into the Satan episode, we'll see more of this. But he's a killer. He's a murderer. His nature is just violent. And, and that's who it is. This yeah. is who the enemy behind the enemies really is. And I think taking off the filter, what I loved about this chapter when I really understood it was it took off a filter or a lens that I wasn't able to see. And it allowed me to see things, people, and events happening, not for what's in front of me, but beyond it. Mm -hmm. Going into the spiritual realm, because then we jump into like, what's it, verse 7? Wait, before you get to that, just I like what you're saying about being able to see beyond and beyond just what's in front of us. Because when we look at the war in heaven and what this enemy, that as we talked about all the villains and we can see Satan's interaction, whether explicitly said or kind of, okay, I can see that he's at work here and all of the stuff that's been happening all throughout human history. We've talked a lot about our own lives and how we can see this stuff happening is that we see right here, this is what the dragon's after, mm -hmm. is to devour this child. And as far as I'm concerned, I think that the devil thought that he thought that he got him right on the cross. I think that he was like, sweet, got him. Little did he know <laughs> he fell right into he fell right into the trap. But that's what it's all been about. And to really see things that, oh, this life isn't all about me. I'm not the center of the universe. Yeah. It's not like I exist so that God can be fully concerned with all of my troubles or that, oh, the devil's coming after me because like, I was just like, no, that's not what it's about. We can see that this has been the major play behind it all. Kind of summing up this whole first portion of the signs, like there's three signs. There's the sign of the woman, the sign of the dragon, and the sign of the sun child being born. But going into it with Genesis 3.15 in mind, which we covered with Doug, and I will put enmity between you and the woman, between you, your offspring and hers. He will crush at your head and will strike at his heel, just like what you talked about with Cain and Abel. But that was the attack plan. Like, that's the dragon's attack. He's coming at the sun. He was coming at the sun. I really do like how you painted that picture, too, of this is, he thought he was victorious on the cross. Uh, have you seen, yeah, I'm sure you have, the Chronicles of Narnia, Lion, Witch, in the Wardrobe? Mm -hmm. So we're watching that with the kids the other day, and Reed really loved it. Remy was like, I don't like it, but she only said that. She really did like it, because then we start watching it. She's like, all in. I think she didn't like it, because we were like, you're a lot like Edmund. Like, that's you, <laughs> child who won't listen. Uh, but, you know, the, the beautiful images of what C.S. Lewis did in this book of painting the story of kind of the crucifixion and who Christ is and the lion and everything. But that final or that scene where Edmund messed up and she was like, the witch was like, we demand blood. You know what the thing is for treachery or treason? Blood. And he's like, pulls, he says, come talk to me in the tent. And she goes in there. And I'm quoting from the movie. So if you're like, that's not what the book says. I'm here telling you it's from the movie. So they pull her in the tent and then she leaves and she's like, tell me you'll be true. And he was like, or like, give me your word you're true or you won't turn back on your word. And he's like, rah. Uh, my word was before you were even existing and something like that. It was super cool, powerful thing. And then he leaves in the morning and he's walking to the stone where he has to sacrifice his life. Mm -hmm. And you see all the animals and they're like, rah, rah. And there's this like bird thing, bat looking giant thing rah, right in yeah. his face. Start shaving him and all kinds of things. Yeah, and they yeah. start shaving him. And what I liked about it, kind of even looking at this, was this visual. And when we were watching, I paused and I told Justine, that, that is what spiritually happened. Mm -hmm. that was the spiritual side and that queen just sat there in her hierarchy stabbed the the aslan and thought she had won that was satan on the cross mm -hmm. and this whole picture is that and looking at revelation 12 it's the same thing just somewhat flipped 
on it at the birth side of Christ. The line that you said, I thought that you were going to go for it. Do not cite the deep magic to me, which I was there when yeah, it was written. That was the one I was thinking of. And, and But even within that, like, it, that really helped me to kind of more understand, again, what happened on the cross. And, like, I don't know why, just like, oh, this thing that I didn't understand about, like, why did his death result in our life and in forgiveness and the defeat of the enemy? And just to understand, like, I don't think that we're fully aware of a lot of the ancient things that have happened and things that happened in the heavenly realm to where he's talking about, I was there when this deep magic was written. It's like, what are the laws that govern everything and what is sin really and righteousness mm-hmm. and what like for his pure life, like for him to die on the cross and for that to pour out, like he, he couldn't be killed, right? He had never sinned. Death wasn't due him and all that stuff. Like just to kind of think about it again, bringing it back to the mystery of that deep magic that or that ancient magic that came before. I was like, that just helped me understand. Yeah. By not needing to understand. And it was even so cool. The final scene of it is like when he comes back to life and the, the stone breaks. Mm-hmm. And he was like, she didn't understand that a life sacrificed on its own would break it. And it's mm-hmm. like, that's death. He just, he broke and conquered death. Like, yep, yep, yep. I mean, C.S. Lewis did such a fine job on it. Uh, let's and go then to- randomly threw Santa Claus in there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Ran- you got to have Santa Claus in there. I mean, come on. He's St. Nick. Um, <laughs> but let's go to the break and then we'll pick up with the war between Michael and Satan. Yeah. Hi everybody, it's Casey. It's the Christmas movie you haven't seen. The Christmas movie you need to see. It's the Christmas movie you'll never forget. From Revelation 12 Production Company and Apostle John Film, it's the woman and the dragon. So there's a pregnant woman looking to give birth to her son who is destined to rule over all the nations. But there's this enormous red dragon that is bent on making sure that doesn't happen. There's no manger. There's no wise men. There's no shepherds. It's the birth of Jesus and it's war in heaven. The Woman and the Dragon comes out December 24th and it's only in select theaters. Go out and reserve your ticket today. You definitely need to see this movie. Now back to the show. We are back and I just love those ad spots. I mean, who we get for our sponsors is fantastic. I'm sure that all of you (laughs) want to go and check that out. That's just a, a great time. But I've actually had a few people ask me, oh, so you guys are getting sponsors now for the show. And I'm like, no, all that stuff's made up by me and the kids and all of us kind of collaborate on what to do. So that's the more entertaining part of those things for me is that someone's saying, where's the anger emporium? I'm, well, that should exist. I've talked to you about like (laughs) turning that into a real business, but I'm still convinced that that's why you have this podcast. It's because you really want to do the ad man type thing. Yeah. (laughs) And just like, that's... This is your way of doing it. I create like, jingles sure, all the time. Sure, I'll wrap it in a podcast, but I get to... Ask Justine and the kids. There's always jingles at our house. Oh, yeah. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I know what some of them are. We're getting back to the dragon. <laughs> um, there's a lot that maybe we can touch back on from that first part, but I want to keep moving. And this is a fantastic part for me that I wish more people understood as we're getting into Revelation 12, verses 7 and following. After the son is born and the woman fl- uh, flees into the wilderness... It says, then a war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But the dragon was not strong enough, and no longer was any place found in heaven for him and his angels. And the great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. So the thing that I wish that more people understood is that the dragon is not equal to God. Mm-hmm. is not equal to Jesus, right? Is not equal to the Holy Spirit. None of the Godhead in the Trinity. He fights Michael. 
So the whole dualism of God versus Satan and their equally powered yin and yang, good and evil and all this stuff is like, no. Like, the devil doesn't even get to approach God. Like, God could just speak him away. Like, you know what I mean? For his purposes, and again, God's plan and everything, I don't know the mystery of all of that, of why things needed to play out how, but Michael and his angels go to war with the dragon and his angels, and the dragon loses. The dragon loses against Michael. So I think that us as Christians, especially in the way that we live our lives and how we kind of need to like, dude, the devil isn't all he's cracked up mm -hmm. to be. He's not that powerful. He's not equal to God. Jesus defeated him on the cross. We see that Michael is, you know, punking him right here too. Let's walk a little bit more victoriously and put him in his place as he's a defeated enemy. Yeah, I really like this portion of scripture because then you're looking at uh, a lot of times Again, the behind-the-scenes stuff of what's happening in that spiritual realm. And here it is, like you are saying, that Michael the archangel, just him and his army, eh, defeat him. And it specifically says because Satan or the dragon was not strong enough. Mm -hmm. Like, he wasn't even strong enough. So even backing your point right there with the scripture of it. Uh, but looking through this chapter, there are six times it mentions that the dragon was kicked out or hurled down or whatever the terminology your scripture uses. And it's, it's over and over again. And we see it right here where it says, then he was hurled down to the earth. And like, he's just bounced out. Like he's bounced out of heaven. He's kicked out because like. Michael's like the bouncer. Just yeah. Like, nah, out of here. He's like, I want to see God. And Michael's like, God, get through me. And he's like, all right. And then it's like, they're on the floor. Like, you know, they're just tossed out. He was tossed out. Like, I don't want to say like nothing. Like, I'm sure it was a war. Yeah. And I don't know what it is, angels dying or whatever. What kind of like, war casualty that a, looks like. Yeah, because they're warring. But, yeah, I'm sure that it was beyond epic and brutal and everything else. Like, this is the, the war of, all, of wars. And, and what I like about this portion... Actually, I don't think this is the war of wars. There's another war later yeah. on in Revelation that probably takes that kick. But still. It's a war. Yeah. What I like about this one, though, in itself is what you were saying. I think it's something that a lot of Christians really need to lock more on is the notion that our enemy isn't as powerful as we perceive him to be or as he actually is. It's how we perceive him that makes him stronger in our lives. So we can look at him as equal to God. And that's why he's scarier to us. That's why he feels like more of a threat. But when we read this and we realize he's basically on the same par as an angel, and if not Michael the Archangel lower because his guy's lost, then he's not as scary as what we make him. And I think that's where we have more victory, where we're looking at this, we where, you know, it's like as Christians, we should be storming the gates. Like we are victorious. We are winners. We are not on defense trying to protect ourselves from this enemy. We're on offense going and conquering places that he can't stop us from conquering. Oh, man, you said something just before, and I was like, oh, I want to go on that. And then when you said the second part, I was like, oh, I like that. I think that to just keep going on with that, well, I'm going to read verses 10 through 12, because I think that brings in a lot of what you just said. It says, and I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down. He who accuses them day and night before our God, they have conquered him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they did not love their lives so as to shy away from death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to the earth and the sea and the great fury the devil has come down to you. 
knowing he has only a short time. So yeah, so they've conquered him by the blood of the lamb, right? So Jesus won the victory and by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives so as to shy away from death. We have nothing to fear. And scripture talks in other places about freeing people from the fear of death, right? We have nothing to fear. Jesus, our Lord, conquered death. He's invited us into that resurrection life that we have nothing to fear come our death. So we're able to go and storm the gates, like you just said, expecting victory. But even if we are a, I guess you call it a temporary casualty within that, we're still victorious because just like the devil thought that he got one on Jesus and Jesus was resurrected, Mm -hmm. even if we lose our lives for this cause, we haven't actually lost our lives. And to really have more faith in our salvation and in the power of the Spirit and in what Jesus has done than anything that the enemy could bring our way. And that's a very, very hard few sentences for me to say as an American who faces zero persecution. Mm -hmm. Because I can sound very brave right now in our recording studio. And I would hope that if persecution was to come or God takes me to a place or whatever would happen, like, I do have faith. I would not renounce Jesus. I don't know if I'd sound as brave. <laughs> I think the spirit would come and bolster that. But you know what I mean? I also yeah. want to bring in, there, there are brothers and sisters around the world who are actually carrying this out, that they're trusting in the blood of the lamb. And by the word of their testimony, they are conquering. They are in yeah. this battle in a way that we aren't. Um, I know we've had Pastor Zachariah on in the church in Nigeria and just the persecution that's there and the amount of people that he's known that didn't renounce him by their testimony of who Jesus is. Again, they might have lost their lives here but they are overcoming. Yeah, that's such a good point to ha- to throw in there too with this whole story because so much of this is imagery, imagery, imagery to have that solid reminder that, yeah, we still, this enemy is still attacking the sons and we'll throw in daughters of Adam and Eve, us as people, he's still coming at us. I mean, the second portion of, or this last portion of chapter 12 hits all of that, that like it says, so verse 13, when the dragon saw that he had been hurled to the earth, he pursued the woman who gave birth to the, to the male child. The woman was given two wings of a great angel so that she might flee to the place prepared for her and be taken care of for a time, time, and a time and a half out of the serpent's reach. I'm not going to do the math on a time, 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 and a half. I'm just going to believe what's written there. That's where people start getting all weird. Then from his mouth, the serpent spewed out water like a river to overtake the woman and sweep her away with a torrent. But the earth helped the woman by opening its mouth and swallowing up the river the dragon had swept out of his mouth. Then the dragon was enraged at the woman and went off to make war against the rest of her offsprings to those who obeyed God's commands and hold the testimony of Jesus, and the dragon stood on the shore of the sea. And this imagery again is of what our villain, what this villain, who Satan is, this dragon, is always here to do, and it's to wage war on the offsprings But not only that, I really like that who obey the commands of God. And like you were saying, that there are going to be times where we're going to hit some sort of persecution or suffering. And it's because we have an enemy coming at us who is waging war. And I mentioned this in our last episode with Saul. If we're foolish enough not to think that this isn't war, and maybe because we're in America and it's comfortable, like you were saying, and we're not facing persecution, we don't get what war really means. But we're in a spiritual war. This is a spiritual battle going on and our enemy is pursuing us and he is coming at us hard. And if we're sitting here just thinking like, oh, nothing's going to happen to me because I'm comfortable, well, then 
you're kind of already being attacked. The enemy doesn't want us to think we're in war. So the devil, the, one of the things he wants to keep us at is just not doing anything. Sure, show up to church. Yeah, go do your little church thing because that seems to make an impact. Sure, occasionally read your Bible and pray, but don't stand up to do anything against me in a bigger scale, in a bigger way. I'll let you do those little things because it seems like you do those and then you go back home and you're comfortable. But the moment we start to wake up and start to get ourselves up and say, I'm in a war, he knows us back to sleep. He's like, shh, be careful here. Here's your binky of Netflix. Watch that and, and be quiet and just sit here for 18 hours and binge watch. Which think like a dragon is specific imagery. Mm-hmm. Like a dragon is a big, bad, scary creature. And when you look at kind of dragon, and I'm not going to delve into this too much, but just of this beast and this dragon, and you look back throughout scripture, maybe we're talking about Leviathan or chaos monster. And there's Tiamat and Tanim, and you can go do that study on your own at a different time. It's super interesting when you see the way that it all ties through with the beliefs and stuff. But when you just look at this dragon of chaos and of destruction and death, like you were bringing up those characteristics of of who the devil is, and we shouldn't be lulled to sleep. We shouldn't be pacified. And like you were saying, oh, yeah, go to church or kind of do those couple things or, you know, do those little things. But if we don't actually take up our role of being in the war, yeah, we're losing the war, right? Mm-hmm. And it's just, all right, cool, there's an army coming against me. Oh, but that army that's supposed to come against me, they don't ever leave their base. They're not training. They're not getting good with their weapons. They're never actually coming out to fight me. So it doesn't matter that there's a huge army because they're just there in their barracks doing yeah. nothing. And man... Devil's in for it because I think that God's army here is waking up. The more that I talk with different people and see the spirit moving is that more and more people aren't staying pacified with Netflix. And the war is ramping up. I think that more and more people are realizing the spiritual war that's going on around us too. And things are going to get interesting coming up. When I look at this dragon, because looking at the dragon, the villain, and there's some like great things of what it talks about the dragons keeps doing here. And one of them to me is like his tool of attack for us when we see like he's waging war. And one of them I think is accusation. Mm-hmm. You know, I think he comes at us and he, he accuses us things. And what's crazy about us is he accuses us of things and then gets us to agree with those accusations. Mm. You're this, this, and this. No, yeah, you're right. I am this, this, and this. I am a sinner still. I am still doing this. And, and then I see it as... As we look through scripture, he accuses you, God, and others. So he wants to accuse God of not being as loving and caring as he says he is. He wants to accuse you of always being a sinner. And he wants to accuse the other person so that you don't like him. And now you have an enemy instead of a brother. Mm. And so there's, there's some depth into all this. If you believe the accusations, though, I think, and I, I read this, it says, if you believe the accusations, you will run from God rather than abide in his presence. And so for me... When I was doing studying for this episode this morning and kind of getting myself prepped more for it, I actually have this situation played out for myself in real life the last two days. So I applied for a position somewhere. I mean, you know the story. Yeah, I'll just tell the whole story, right? Because it's our podcast. Why not? (laughs) I applied for a pastor's position in Tennessee, and I did it because I knew I kind of had to, not necessarily that I think I necessarily thought I would get it. But it had to like get out of this hole that I was keeping myself in, this accuse, accusation that the enemy was telling me, God's never going to use you again. And on this podcast, I've shared, I messed up pretty bad, almost lost my marriage, lost my ministry. And, and here I am kind of 
coming out of that. And so I applied to it as kind of like this step of faith of like, okay, God, you said that I'm not done, so use me again, right? And yesterday I got word back that, you know, I didn't meet some of their qualifications. And there's a couple particularly that I know I didn't, but I thought it's basically seminary or a college degree, which I have neither of, but I figured, hey, I've got the backing, at least in the school of hard knocks learning to follow up with that. So anyways, I didn't get it. And the moment it happened and I read the letter, I got hit with, I told you, you weren't going to do that again. God can't use you anymore you've disqualified yourself. So just sit and do nothing. And I dealt with that for like 24 hours, not 24 hours, for like eight, 10 hours of like, yeah, now you're right. I got accused of something that isn't true. God's not done with me. I'm still here. Uh, Whether I get used in that capacity again or not doesn't even matter because I'm just doing what God wants me to do today. But that accusation came and it hit. And then in it, I then started accusing God. Like, why would you even give me the dream to, to do something again? Why would you put that in my heart to even do it just so I could feel bad? Like, or do you just want me to feel bad on purpose? And then the accusation of others was, you know what? And again, everyone who's listened by now, if you've heard all the episodes in, in order, you kind of get my brain already. Um, <laughs> you know what? If they didn't, they didn't want to accept me for that role, I'm going to show them. I'm going to make them regret that they didn't pick me to be their pastor. And I'm sitting here like, dude, what the heck, dude? Like, you're that stupid? You're going to, you're going to, they're going to go and carry on God's, they're going to pick who God wants them and he's going to bless their church and bless that area of Nashville to grow in abundance. I'm going to be where I'm at and be where God's called me to bless the people around me and to grow them in abundance. But the accusation of our enemy, like it's so real. And going through that life experience and then reading this really opened my eyes more. I'm glad that you came to all of that. <laughs> I don't know that I, I, I texted you and we talked through some of it as well, but yeah, just the accuser of our brothers who accuses them day and night before our God. Before God, and you know, to us, he just comes in and how the scripture says that he is the father of lies and lies is his mm-hmm. native tongue. He does nothing other than lie. And even when we look at scripture saying again that, hey, Jesus didn't come to condemn anybody because we already stood condemned. But then scripture also says that for all who believe in him, he, be, he gave the right to become mm-hmm. sons and daughters of God. And that's the truth that we come into, right, is that we aren't distanced anymore from God. We're not separated from God, that we're able to come in as children. And yeah, there's no place for those lies and for those accusations to come in like, see, I told you, you could never, God's done with you. And God's just like, no, I love you. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So yeah, super. I think it's super important to know how our enemy is actually attacking. Mm-hmm. I think we get caught up in like, I got in a car accident. That had to be the devil. No, you should have got off your phone. Yeah, I mean, there's a, a bunch of reasons. What our enemy really wants to do is lie to us. He wants to accuse us. And I like that you brought up lying because he wants us to believe falsely of who God is. He wants that false sense, that lie of who God is, who you are, what scripture says. You know, if they could get us uh, someone a little bit doubting something then he's going to get us to doubt the whole thing so he comes in with this game plan and it's like right there painted for us in scripture but i think we kind of overcomplicate the thing and a huge thing for me is when we look at like for a lot that it boils down for me when we're just looking at the accusation of like truth versus lie and like so much of the truth of the gospel and what we're supposed to live in it comes down to identity and our identity mm-hmm. in Christ and the restoration of our image in the likeness of God's image, right? So Jesus comes down, he's the perfect image, and then we're becoming more Christ-like and God is restoring that in us. So, so much of it comes down to being in the image, being in the identity, and the lies just come in that we're not that. 
right? When I look at so many of the things that come out symptomatically or any of those things, like ultimately it comes down to a lie that I'm believing about myself or about God or about others, like you're saying, that just as quickly as that happened for you, that like you even got me to a point where I was like, all right, I'm going to pray that God's will be done, but that I'd be okay and that Chris could get this job, you know, God willing. So even I was just like, all right, I'm not going to pray against this. Like, go for it. That, that could be a good thing. And yeah, for you to get that news and just how quickly, like, it can just come in, right? Yeah. And start to take over the thought processes. And rather than just be the truths, like, if one lie can come in there, I don't know. I look at my own life and just like, yeah, if an enemy has been paying attention to me for any amount of time, probably knows the go-to areas to get me to trip. Mm-hmm. So I'm glad that you caught that as quick as you did. Yeah, me too. That could have been... Not fun, especially for this <laughs> podcast. Yeah, I think uh, kind of getting towards well, as we start wrapping up with this one, I mean, there's a lot of beautiful imagery in this. And it is it is the Christmas story in some sense. And it is the story of what the war has been waging and what we should know about our enemy. And, and I thought it was pretty interesting that where John saw this at like what time in this this letter he wrote is like right here before we kind of get into like the big things, you know, the big climax of what Revelation is. But this is what the enemy wants. You know, the the big question I think that we ask as Christians that will hurt us the most is what if? What if this didn't happen? Or what if I got this? Or what if that? Uh, Because we kind of question God's sovereignty, but not only that, his goodness. But then we start questioning like, you know, it's what if I took this out of the Bible? Could I live my life the way I want to? What if this wasn't in there? then I could do things the, the way I think. Or what if this actually meant something else, then I could change the entirety of what Scripture means. Did, did you know like there was the Thomas Jefferson Bible? Yeah. That Thomas Jefferson wrote his own, well, he didn't write his own Bible, but he took out all the pages of things he didn't like. Yeah, he was just like, miracles? Nah. Like, yeah. it's very naturalistic, yeah. Yeah, there's that one. And, and so people do that all the time with the what ifs. They just kind of, I'm going to make it whatever I want to fit my needs. As we've looked at the different villains, right? Like what happens to all of these villains? Like they get overtaken by wicked and they meet their demise. Mm -hmm. Like it's just the end result. Like God in his goodness cannot be defeated. And it just even reminds me of uh, King Saul, right? When the tormented spirit came upon him and like he just was mad trying to throw javelins at David and all this stuff and hunt him down and hunt him down. And then eventually it ended in, in suicide. Like, no, it's just like a nothing defeat. And when we look at oh, Jesus being born and the devil coming after him. He's like, yeah, ended in his defeat. You know, he just went after him, went after him, went after him, was never able to get him, right? Because even all the times that the Pharisees went to go kill him, and he goes, yeah, Jesus just walked away. They weren't able to grab him because his time wasn't there yet. And then when his time did come, yeah, he's, he was ultimately defeated. So I think that just even in his frenzy of trying to fight against God and stuff, like it, it didn't result in any more power, anything better happening for him. I like A lot that. of collateral damage. <laughs> But ultimately, even then, for those of us that are saved, like we're, we're secure. Yeah, I like that because then uh, looking at verse 17, then when the dragon realized he was on earth, he was enraged. Mm-hmm. Like you're saying that frantic, franticness of like, oh, I'm here. But I guess this episode to me is the episode of like, hey, anyone who's listening in for myself, because I'm not going to come on here even when I speak. I don't preach anything that hasn't hit me first. So even when we come on our podcast, I'm not going to come on here and be like, hey, do this. Like, this is hit home first before I share with other people. And for this one, it's no, we're in a war. Mm -hmm. That we've talked about villains and we've talked about villains who died. 
and we're going to finish up with some villains who died. But this is our enemy who is roaring like a lion, ready to devour, ready to accuse you, God, and others, who's going to lie to you so quickly and easily, and who just wants your total destruction and death. He's out there waging war. If we don't understand that we need to wage war back, that it's our time to fight. And like you're saying, there's this, there's this movement that we can see that there are Christians waking up again. It's time that we put on the armor and we go to battle with our enemy. And that doesn't mean necessarily that things will be easy. I believe if we as America wake up as a church and start fighting back against some of the things that we've just allowed because we're like, oh, America, it's for God, and kind of falling into the, some of that folly, that we will get really attacked. I saw this thing, and, and when I think about it for my own sake, you know, the, the comfort, complacency, the ease of life, the just enjoying things, it's made me so just relaxed that I'm not doing anything. And I want to start doing more, not just for myself, but I want to raise my kids to be the battle-ready kids who are able to go into things. Like, no doubt about it, and if you don't like this and you're listening, I'm sorry, but no doubt about it, in my mind, we are living in Babylon. Like, America is a great country to live in, but it's not a God-fearing, God-loving country. If it was, we would see a lot more difference in it, especially when it comes to how we actually do care for the oppressed and the needy, not just the fickle, soft way that we're, we're kind of doing it. But if we were to really be that like nation that rises up, as far as not America, but the kingdom, and go on a full-fledged attack, it would just be a, such a crazy, wonderful thing. But to have my kids be that, that army who's ready, part of it, putting on the armor and going out there in the enemy territory and thriving it. We, we, we talked about Larry Osborne. He has that book, Thriving in Babylon, which mm-hmm. is such a great example of what Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did. In the enemy's territory, persecuted, thrown into fire and a lion's den, but still thrived, not worldly thriving, but thrived in their relationship with God. And I think that's, to me, what I really got out of this one chapter. When you're looking at the war and how it's fought, right? We don't wage war against flesh and blood. We're not going out there and it's like, we don't need to take down any nation and like, you know, going... Oh, yes, yes. Anything like that. Let me correct myself and say, don't... No, not that you said that. Gather up the guns in the army. I'm not... I don't mean it that way. But in doing it different, it's like, what does it look like? And what does it look like for... And a generation to really rise up and do that. It's like, how do you fight the devil? How do you fight this dragon and his angels, which are, you know, demonic powers and, you know, everybody who goes along with that is like one of the most potent, well, the death knell in it all, right? Like the silver bullet in it is the gospel. Like you preach the gospel and people will hear the gospel, then they learn of the victorious King Jesus. And in preaching the gospel, you preach repentance. And for those of us that know the gospel, that we should be constantly coming in repentance and keeping ourselves pure and right and asking for forgiveness and trusting that God, that Jesus is faithful and he'll cleanse us and forgive us, right? But when we look at for anybody who is an enemy to God currently, or if you're a Christian and not living right, is like, well, how does that battle take place? Repentance right? You're no longer following in the lie. You're no longer working for the devil. You're no longer opposed to God, but you're coming in and turning away from those things. You're renouncing that life. And that's how the battle is fought is like, yeah, it's, is it some big political game and all of a sudden these happen? No, you talked about the kingdom of God and the kingdom of God is of righteousness. It's of truth and love in the spirit. And to come in and, and 
bring people into a kingdom of love, right? And just what's the process there? We don't need to go out and condemn everybody. We need to go out and let them know that they're forgiven, that they can enter into a new life mm-hmm. to where they're not enslaved and they're not captives to all these things to say, hey, look, there is a devil. There is this dragon. There is an enemy. And that's why you look around and you see all this wickedness. Stop blaming God for all that. Because I think that that's one of the huge lies that today is just like, well, if there is a God, how come there's so much evil? It's like, because there's a devil. There's an enemy. And like, we, like nobody wants to acknowledge that there's a devil. We just want to blame God. It's like, that's why. And from the small things to the big things, like, I don't think that we should go around and blame every, like, I don't know how to say it, like, common folk for all of the evils of the people who have, like, a lot more power and a lot of, like, the more evil and wicked stuff that goes on. But we still have our role that each of us needs to enter into salvation and that as a collective, right, like, salvation, we think of it so American and individualized, Mm -hmm. but salvation is for the group. It's for the collective. It's for the community that all of us can enter into salvation. I'm so, like, if I was in a situation where I was the only Christian and I got to know God and, like, got to be with him forevermore, wow. But that would be really sad if it stopped with me. <laughs> like, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? And if we look at where we're at today, you're talking about our kids coming up and just like, man, for the church to step into this war, let's stop being afraid. And that's what we, we read for those who, by the blood of the lamb and the word of the testimony, they didn't, they didn't fear like holding on to their lives. They just went out and there was victory there. So, so much in that. Um, I did want to jump in just because we're talking about the dragon. I think that it's great to see what happens with the dragon in the end. I'm jumping over to Revelation 20. We say, then I saw an angel coming down from heaven with the keys to the abyss. Do a study on that. That's fascinating. <laughs> Holding in his hand a great chain. Anytime I say do a study on that, that's fascinating. If you want to hop in the group and be like, what did you mean? Like, man, like I can, there's I, launch off points. I giggle because we've talked about stuff like that. And I'm like, no, he means it. Do the study. <laughs> Very fascinating. It, yeah. He seized the dragon, that ancient serpent who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. He threw him into the abyss, shut it, and sealed it over him that he could not deceive the nations till the thousand years was complete. After that, he must be released for a brief period of time. So again, we're seeing the dragon is the ancient serpent, the devil and Satan. And again, just an angel is coming up. I'm like, all right, you're done. Throwing you in the abyss, locking you up. You're going to be released again. God has purposes in this stuff, but released again for the thousand years. Then jumping down to verses seven, says that it's released. He comes out and then there's this great war, um, four corners of the earth, Gog, Magab, to assemble them for battle. And then we come in verse nine, and they marched across the broad expanse of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city. So that sounds really bad. And this is for everybody alive today that is considered a saint. You're a believer. If you believe in Jesus, you are a saint. And you might look like we are surrounded by evil, by wickedness, but like what we're looking at here is the battle to end all battles. Like this is it, like no battle after this, which means that ours isn't quite to that point yet, unless ours is that one now, but I'm not deciding that time. (laughs) But just when we look at this is the biggest battle one. This is how it ends up. They were surrounded, but fire came down from heaven and consumed them. So like, can we trust God that his power from heaven can consume the enemy, can do, like, we need to trust God. Like, we're, I feel like I myself can get so spazzed out about trying to, like, overcome everything myself. Mm -hmm. It's like, God did. God will. Trust God. And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur, into which the beast and the false prophet had already been thrown. There they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. So the devil, the dragon, the ancient serpent, it's tossed in and just is tormented forever and ever, like lake of fire. That's the end of this dragon. It's already written in the book. 
for anybody who has read through scripture and tasted and seen that God's good, has seen that God is true to his word in as many ways as you've tested him, he will remain faithful in this one as well. There is no ultimate victory for the dragon. Mm -hmm. doesn't matter that the dragon is big and scary, any of that stuff, but we don't need to live in fear of. We don't need to live in defeat. There's so much victory for us to walk in that Honestly, looking at the dragon, it's a weird thing because to me, the imagery of the dragon is such the big thing. And I feel like this whole episode, we've just been like, eh. <laughs> like, like it's this big old dragon and it comes out. It's this little thing. <laughs> this is a big shadow, right? Yeah, it's like it's the, the old big cartoons. Shadow, so. And then it comes out. The, the one thing I want to touch on and then we could wrap up is uh, as you're talking about everything and painting that picture of like, yeah, the dragon is defeated. I just kept thinking about the dragon is enraged mm-hmm. and frantic. That doesn't mean he's powerful. I also don't think we should underestimate and let our guard down Mm -hmm. because just because we have victory, God's very specific, put on the armor, right? And he keeps firing the fiery arrows and all that stuff. So it's just like, there's like, oh, like he's already defeated. So whatever It's like that pride will lead you to a fall. Mm -hmm. Like he can still come and he still does, obviously. But to put things in perspective. Yeah, I I, uh, rescued this cat a couple of weeks ago when it was raining from underneath the car tire in front of the kid's school. It was basically like if the car went forward, this cat was dead. It was a kitten, a little small kitten. But I got it out of there. I, with my hand, I reached and grabbed it, and the cat's like scared, and it's frantic, and it's, you know, enraged because I'm holding it and pulling it out of its comfort area. And it's flailing around, but I'm like, I'm confident I have this cat, right? I've, I've got it in my hand, and I'm turning around. I talked to Remy about something, and the sucker bit me, and it hurt, and I'm bleeding, and it's bad, and, and also then fighting everything inside of me not to throw the cat because the cat bit me. That's the comparison I want to use here for our enemy. It's frantic, and it doesn't mean because he's frantic and enraged and and going all crazy that he's powerful. But also, if I let my guard down, my enemy is crafty, smart, and already has a formula how to take me down. And we'll try that formula if I don't put on the armor, if I don't prepare myself, if I'm not engaged in the spiritual context of what we're doing on my knees in prayer, in my word reading it. And I think that a lot of his, what was the word he just Strategy? Mm-hmm. A lot of his strategy is he'll come in and then get us to turn on ourselves. And we see that with all the villains. It's just mm-hmm. like self-destructo mode. All right, so let's wrap this episode up. Uh, Merry Christmas. Happy New Year, everyone. I am Chris. I'm Yurlich. We are your church friends. Thanks for listening. The Word for Word Bible comic is completely unabridged. Not one word is missing. The pictures are accurate to the historical and cultural background and help immerse the reader in the ancient setting. Due to the corruption of mankind, the Bible is bloody and filled with complex adult themes of abuse and betrayal. This comic is therefore aimed at adults and older teens. The Word for Word Bible Comic. Order yours today.